be patient and also just stick to your numbers and you know try to remove as much emotion as you can from the deal and really just at the end of the day let the numbers dictate your gut and if you have a bad feeling about a deal get the hell out of there Welcome to Passive Wealth Strategies for Busy Professionals, the show that teaches you how to grow your wealth without buying yourself a second job. Today, we're here with Antoine Martel of Martel Real Estate, a turnkey real estate provider based out of San Mateo, California. We're going to talk about turnkey today. It's definitely a very interesting opportunity for busy professionals that want to get into real estate and aren't going down the syndication route and also don't want to go or aren't able to go hunt for single families, duplexes and such in their local area. Maybe they live in a high cost of living market. If you want to listen to an actual, uh, a real turnkey success story investor, go check out our interview with Phoenix O'Rourke, friend of mine who is a successful turnkey investor based out of California, close to where uh, Antoine's calling in from. So coming from the other side, uh, an actual investor, not from a provider. So it's great to get the full circle here. So uh, Antoine, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. It's great to have you. So can you tell us a bit about you know, what you guys do, what markets you provide turnkeys in, and what your typical you know investor profile looks like? Sure. Yeah, so we started doing turnkey, or really started investing in real estate about five years ago. I was born in Toronto, grew up in the Bay Area, then went to college in Los Angeles and graduated in 2017. And while I was at university, I realized I didn't want to work for somebody else after graduating and uh, wanted to do my own thing. And I thought that that would be some tech business or some mobile app because that was super hot a couple years ago. Realized it wasn't the way to go and started getting into real estate, real estate investing, just started learning as much as possible. Tried flipping houses in LA, tried wholesaling in LA, tried buying rentals in California. None of those tactics really worked. And started networking with people who were making money and making cash flow and building a portfolio out of state, whether it was single family or multifamily. And I just thought it was super intriguing. And kind of my last semester while I was at university, I took my dad's 40,000 bucks, went to Memphis, Tennessee and started buying houses and really doing the Burr method. So buying a house, renovating it, renting it out, cash out, refinance, pull all the money out, and then just kept doing it over and over again. And graduated in May and told my dad, hey, I can keep doing this, you know, after I graduate, just pay for my rent or whatever the thing was. And for six months, let me try to figure this thing out. And graduated in May. By the end of that year, we had 10 single family homes in our portfolio in Memphis. And I was like, all right, cool. This is really working. We have a team. We're good to go. Like, let's just, how do we scale this thing? And people started reaching out to us to actually buy properties in our portfolio friends and family. And they just wanted to buy the finished product. They didn't want to go through all the whole process and take the risk of the appraisal not happening. And so we just started selling properties out of our portfolio. And that was how the turnkey business was really born. We were like, all right, cool. Now we have two exit strategies. We can sell it to our friends and family, help them grow, give them the property manager, the tenant in place, financing, insurance, or we can just refinance it and hold it ourselves. And so that's scaled up over the last couple of years. And now we're doing over 100 homes a year out of state. And so that's really how the whole business started and how we started. And we started in Memphis was the first market. Then we slowly expanded because we were doing 100 homes a year. It's hard to do that just in one market. So now we're in a couple different markets, Memphis, Cleveland, Birmingham, and St. Louis. Nice. And you host your own podcast, A Millennial's Guide to Real Estate Investing. So we're both millennials. I'm a little further along than you are. Uh, 
for, you know, take that for what it's worth. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. You know, it's definitely something that I think our generation needs to be doing more of is yeah. learning about money, learning about investing and definitely getting into real estate in an appropriate yeah. cash flowing manner. Yeah, no, I agree. And like the point of my show too is like, how do you get started in real estate investing with like 20 grand or less? So kind of like breaking the myth of a lot of people our age will just have this idea like, oh, I'm never going to like real estate just off the table because they look at the, you know, they live in California or another expensive market and they're like, what the hell, how can I buy anything here? I can hardly afford to pay rent. Like, how can I invest anything? And it's like, well, you know, with that 20,000 bucks you have in the bank or in your 401k, you can buy rental properties with that and start growing your portfolio. And, you know, the returns, if you know what you're doing and or you use a good turnkey provider, the returns are going to be much better than, well, sitting in the bank, definitely, but like even investing in the stock market, stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. And the upside of investing in cash flowing real estate being that you're making most a lot of your return just from rent payments and that cash flow, whereas with the stock market, you got to yep. wait to sell typically. Yeah. You know, dividends aren't going to make exactly. up for it. So yeah, we all about real estate here. It's a fantastic yeah. long-term yeah. investment. Now, as far as talking to other millennials and getting them into real estate investing, you know, what have you found to have been some of the biggest you know, appeals that, that speak to our generation when it comes to, you know, building our wealth and, and getting started? I mean, we got a while till we're going to retire. Yeah. So it's, it's maybe hard for some people to think that far out, but, um, what makes a big difference? Yeah. And I try to educate people along like a lot about, you know, looking long-term and you're buying a rental property with 30 year financing, like have a 30 year vision for that rental property. And, you know, don't just judge your whole investment based on the first six months or the first 12 months or 24 months. You have a whole long runway. And like, even if you're buying something and you're expecting like a 12 or 15 or 17% return, realize that you can go and put in the S&P 500 and mutual fund and make 7 or 8%. So even if you know something happens one year and your return that year is 6 and then the next year it's 12 and then the next year it's 17 and then you know it's back to 6 again like the returns are always going to be changing and it's constantly especially because you have these capex items that come up, maintenance items that come up, tenants mess up a house but you know it's a long-term game and so I think that a lot of people give up very early with real estate because it's a very long game and it's a very slow game. But I think that the benefits, if you play it out long-term, I mean, was it 90% of all millionaires are made through real estate investing, not actually what, <laughs> you know, what they were doing, whether they're actors or whatever, they all invested in real estate, which made them wealthy, not the acting, you know? Mm, yeah, absolutely. That's actually something I've been thinking about recently. You mentioned actors. We have this, this whole class of people that the successful ones or that have some amount of success might have a couple years where they're really yep. earning a significant income. Mm -hmm. And then it seems for the rest of their acting careers, it fizzles out or they, I don't know, whatever happens, but they stop getting those big roles. And since you're in, you mentioned actors, you know, is that a clientele that you typically deal with that are you actors and they get a big chunk of money and they have to live on it the rest of their lives yeah. and plan to <laughs> yeah. retire on it? What's that look like? Yeah. We don't have many of those clients that just came up because I remember watching an interview with Arnold Schwarzenegger and he was talking about how he actually made his wealth was through real estate and it wasn't through the acting. He had bought a duplex mm. in Santa Monica for 200 grand and then he sold it three years later for 450 and he was like, oh, what the hell? I, you know, my 250 grand grew to 450 overnight almost. And then he started buying up all of Santa Monica and now he's, you know, he owns a lot of real estate here in California, which has made him wealthy and lifelong where he doesn't need to go, you know, do another Terminator movie. He has all this cash flow and these assets, right? So we don't typically 
do a lot of business with the actors or models or stuff like that. The typical person is somebody who has like twenty to $50,000 saved up. They work full-time, they have a good credit score, and they typically don't like the stock market or getting out of the stock market because they know something's going to happen to it pretty soon. So that's the typical person. It could be anywhere from We've had people as young as, you know, 23, 24 years old, all the way up to, you know, 70s and 80s and people who are just building a portfolio for their children or grandchildren as well. Hmm. Interesting. But it's that long-term vision. It's real estate investing is a snowball and it yep. takes time to build yep. that cash flow. 100%. Yeah. And it's also the only asset that's, you know, able to be passed down, right? You're not going to, can't give down your stock portfolio to your kids, right? So, but if you have a huge real estate portfolio that's all owned by LLCs or businesses, then that can be passed down to future generations. So it's creating that legacy as well. Typically we get those with the older clients, like, you know, 40 plus or 50 plus who are looking to, for their kids and more to build a legacy. Mm, Absolutely. Yeah. So you mentioned that you're company, you're providing rentals in a number of markets throughout the country. And market selection is a big topic that comes up when you're talking to new real estate investors, especially who don't really know how to pick a market or they're maybe looking at it in a certain way that they might not approach picking a market. So how do you approach picking a market, particularly for turnkey real estate investing? Yeah. So we look at a couple of things and, you know, everybody's probably heard this before, but job growth, population growth, major employers, look at the diversity of the workforce and then kind of look at all those factors and say, okay, are we, you know, are we happy with these major employers? Do we think they're going to be here for the next 30 years? What's the diversity? We want it to be as diverse as possible. And then really like, is the city, so a lot of the markets like that we're investing in Memphis, Cleveland, Birmingham, St. Louis, they really haven't had that growth yet, whether it's with the jobs or population. So we're really buying before people start to get in there. So really getting in very early into these markets to I'm trying to find the next Austin, Texas or Florida or, you know, Nashville, Tennessee, someplace that's up and coming is what I'm trying to buy as much real estate as I can before it becomes a Nashville, Austin, right? And so to do that, you have to be a little bit unorthodox compared to the other investors. So we look for all of those things, but we also look for cities and markets that are poised to have the job growth and population growth. And one of the things we use to do that is looking at the city and the city's mindset and the economic development committee in those markets and say, okay, is this city or state or county giving money for businesses to move in? Are they giving tax incentives? Are, you know, what are they doing to bring more business and more companies into these markets? And so that's a really big thing that we're doing and that we're focusing on. They're publicizing the hell out of all the stuff that they're doing and giving away. And, you know, if you act as a business and type in, you know, Cleveland, you know, I want to move my business to Cleveland on Google. There's a bunch of stuff that pops up like, here, we'll help you find an office. Here, we'll help you connect you with these brokers. Here, we'll help you get finance. Here, this is tax-free and like all these things really. And they literally will tour companies around the city to try to find them space to come and move into their market and then give them tax incentives and all this kind of stuff. So that's the most powerful thing. And you know, we're trying to get into these markets and renovate the housing because there's a lot of typically a lot of dead housing that just needs to be turned over and renovated and updated to 2019 standards. Just a lot of dilapidated buildings and turn all that over. And then hopefully the businesses will come in next. And that's going to make these markets increase in value. Mm. Okay. How do you prevent this from becoming a, uh, a bit of an appreciation speculation compared to focusing on your know, near-term cash flow and making sure you can 
hold the property? Yeah, yeah. Good question. Yeah, so we I don't put any of this stuff in like my numbers or I don't like bank on any of it. It's just really just like thinking very long term what kind of market do I think this is going to become? And I think that all my markets I think in the next, you know, 20 30 years, let's say, are going to be one of those next big markets because they have cool little quaint things about them that most people don't know about yet and maybe the values of the properties are super cheap where certain people like millennials with uh you know $200,000 in college loans that they can't afford to pay off are going to need to move to because they can't afford to live or buy houses anywhere else. So that's something else that's coming down the line. <laughs> so those kinds of things, I don't put any of that stuff in my numbers. I sell all my properties strictly based on cash flow and the cash flow today. So we'll sell it based on returns today without anything about appreciation. I'm not an appreciation guy, but I think that you know, if you're buying cash flowing real estate, you might as well buy it in places that you think and in neighborhoods that you think are going to go up over time because that'll just be the cherry on top. But again, I'm not banking on it. That's why I'm in four markets as well instead of just one. Mm, Absolutely. Yeah. What have you found are some of the biggest misconceptions that new turnkey real estate investors have or, or people that are looking at getting into turnkey real estate? You know, what are some of those myths that they show up with? Yeah, they think that they can buy a property in the name of an LLC. So they'd focus, you know, six months of their lives trying to make an LLC. And it's not the case. So you can't even get conventional financing through Fannie Mae through an LLC. You have to buy it through your personal name. So a lot of people like my intro phone calls with a lot of clients is like, all right, so I'm in, I've been trying to make my LLC. And I'm like, well, you don't even need an LLC. Like just you have to buy the property under your personal name. We'll figure out the LLC stuff later if you want to do that. And I'll break it down, but you have to buy the property and get financing in your personal name. After you close and you own that property, you can move, you can do a quick claim deed from your personal name to an LLC. And that's fine. But you can't get that at the time of closing, the personal name on the title needs to match the loan documents for it to be approved. So that's the only way to do it. So that's one of the biggest myths. Another one is that we have some that turnkey companies have some sort of like turnkey fee or like that like if you're buying a house for 80 grand, then we like stack 10 grand on top of it as like a turnkey fee. We don't do that. Maybe some other companies do that, but we just build in all of our profit and all the only way we make money is just on the difference between what we have in the house to what we sell it for. And we just build that fee in there as our profit. And then all of our houses sell for their appraised value as well. So a lot of people think that they're overpaying for these properties and you know they're buying a hundred thousand dollar house for a hundred fifty grand because we're making it turnkey. Again, for us, that's not what we do. We always make sure we know what the thing is going to appraise for and just build that into our pricing model so that it's fair on us. We make our profit, but then it's also fair on the the client because they're buying the property for fair market value and it's appraising for the price they're paying. Mm, absolutely. So if you're you look at it as a long term type of vision, you're not trying to spin off these turnkeys. You want an investor to be in your tribe forever. Exactly. And eighty percent of my business is all repeat business. And it's repeat business because of that. You know, the less money I have to spend on marketing and putting myself out there, the easier my business is going to grow slowly over time. And yeah, I'd rather have somebody come back and buy 10 properties than, you know, make five times as much on one. It doesn't really, it's not a long term game. Word's going to get around. So there's no point of screwing people over to make your quick 50 grand. I'd rather make five grand a hundred times. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, real estate is a people business for sure. (laughs) While people might not put you on blast on the internet necessarily, some people will. Any investor that's doing their due diligence is going to 
ask your name around and you know, what did you think about this guy? And yeah, negative small world. bad news travels fast. Yeah, absolutely. It's small world. So as far as doing uh, from the investor perspective and doing due diligence on an investment opportunity, a turnkey provider, what are the top three to five things that investors should look out for when they're considering turnkey investments? Yeah. yeah. So I think that make sure they don't own the property management company that they are going to force you to use. Make sure they're not forcing you to use a property management company. That's just recurring revenue for them. So I don't think that you now have the leverage because they're selling you the property, making profit there, and then making continuous recurring revenue off you over time. So I don't think that's the right way to go. We use all third-party property management companies, so we don't make any money referring you over. But also watch out and make sure they don't force you to use a lender. It's good if they have a strongly recommended lender that you use, but some companies will only force you to use these really weird lenders. There's a reason for that. Make sure that you always buy the property for the appraised value or less. Make sure you're not overpaying for these properties. Make sure you're paying fair market value so that you can, if shit hits the fan and you need to get out of it, you can just list it for that price and hopefully you can get out of it within a couple of months or something. Make sure you always buy the property with tenants in place. Don't buy a rental property based on a you know, oh, we're going to rent it out for 800 to 900 bucks a month. No, rent it out for whatever. And then I'll buy it once I have the final rent amount. So always make sure you're buying a property at closing time. You can put it under contract, but make sure you don't close until they have that everything dialed in and you know the exact numbers for that property. So those are the biggest things that I see a lot that I get a lot of people coming to me asking for. So those are really my recommendations when talking to turnkey providers out there. Okay. When you're buying a turnkey as an investor, is an investor working with a realtor to help close the transaction? Or as far as the process of yeah. once you decide, okay, I want this particular property, how do I as an investor get somebody that is on my side in this transaction that has yeah. no particular vested interest in it? Yeah, good question. So for us, we own all the properties that we sell. So we actually just do like a for sale by owner. So there's no realtor involved, like a buyer's agent on your side. It's actually just worked out between the both of us. We try to provide as much transparency and insight to that property as possible. We do allow our buyers to get third-party inspection reports. The appraisal is third-party, right? So there's like a couple of different people who are quote-unquote on your team. The biggest person being the lender because they're putting up 80% of the money and you're only coming up with 20%, you know? So it's like, uh, you know, people get really scared about buying real estate. It's like the government's lending you 80% of the deal. You know, they have more money in it than you do even. So just, yeah. And if, if it's your first one or first couple using a turnkey provider, get an inspection report and make sure it's all third party inspections and pay for it yourself and get the report back. And you can even talk and call the inspector after and ask them certain questions they by law have to be very transparent and they'll put literally everything on there. So it sucks for the turnkey provider. It's great for the buyer. It sucks for the turnkey provider. It's great for the buyer because it'll be, you know, somebody literally on your team pretty much who's going through that property and checking out every little nook and cranny. And they have to write everything down because they're trying to protect themselves from being sued in the future. So every little thing they have to write down because they want to protect their ass. You know? <laughs> <laughs> As far as, you know, I'm a syndication investor myself. I do syndications and I bring investors into syndications so I, and I passively invest in syndications. So, you know, I think about this, the the time frame 
to make a passive investment. There's a time frame of yeah. analyzing deals and figuring out your criteria. And then once you find a particular deal that you're interested in, you know, you might have the on the order of a couple of weeks to get your money wired. You should basically yeah. pretty much have it ready to go. There's not a lot of time to get it out, get it liquid, and then invest it. Yeah. As far as investing in turnkeys, how much time does an investor have to they've, you know, identify their market, their property, their turnkey provider? Okay, boom, you have a listing or a, a turnkey opportunity for somebody to buy. How long do they have to close that deal? What's a typical closing look like? So typically, let's say they identify a property, then they would put the property under contract. They send $500 earnest money to the escrow company. And then they're really just working with the lender for the next 30 days to get financed. They have to have that down payment money already in their bank account because the bank, the lender is going to ask for the last two months of bank statements. So they already have to have those funds in there. And then if they have that you know, down payment plus a couple thousand bucks in closing costs, then they're good to go. They'll just work with the lender for the next 30 days. So typical you know, from putting it under contract to closing is typically 30 to 45 days for a new client. Mm. And work ahead of time would be seeing the various properties and everything and then figuring out the yep. criteria, determining criteria, and then also getting pre-qualified and all that with a lender. Yeah, and we can make that recommendation to that lender as well. So they can actually come to us and be like, hey, I'm interested in these couple properties. You know, Let's get pre-approved. Or we actually just have people put properties under contract and then go try to get pre-approved. And I just over the phone, I'm like, hey, do you have two years of tax returns? Do you have a good credit score? Do you have 20 grand in the bank the last two months? And typically with those things, it's a 95% likelihood, unless their debt to income is wacky, that they can get approved for financing. So typically, we'll just like put a property under contract and then go talk to the bank and be like, hey, can we get Joe pre-approved for this dollar amount? He has this property under contract. And then typically in a couple of days, we'll know if it's yes or no. But it allows us to just, you know, they don't even have to send their earnest money. Let's just see if you can get financed, you know. Mm, okay. So a big topic in a lot of these, when you're talking long-term investing, Big yep. topic that comes up on bigger pockets, especially, is retirement accounts. But when you're talking about buying individual properties, getting leverage inside a retirement account can be difficult, if not impossible. I personally have no idea how to do it. Yeah. Do you have any investors that buy your properties or buy your turnkey properties that use a retirement account, or is it all cash investments? No, it's mostly conventional financing. So, like I mentioned, like a W two income person. So that's typically how my clients are. We do have like probably 10% of transactions go through the 401k or self-directed IRA. So solar 401k, self-directed IRA. And we have a lender actually that we provide to our clients who finances rental properties through the retirement account. So we help our clients get financed through that. And yeah, there is lenders who do that. They're weird, weird terms, 6 to 7% interest rate. Yeah, you have to put 50% down, but they are long-term. Wow. So that's good. It still makes sense to get that financing for these properties because you can buy two instead of one and the return. So then therefore the return and the cash flow goes up a little bit and you have these tenants paying down your you know, debt service and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, so we provide that. We haven't really had many people buy with cash with their 401ks because we provide the financing through those lenders. So most people just take advantage of that and, and use the lender. Hmm, okay. Now, as far as... Uh, an investor, once they own the property, what is the day-to-day, -day, or we'll say we could broaden it out a bit, 
week to week, month to month, year to year yeah. look like when you remotely own turnkey real estate? I mean, going to see the property, managing the manager, what's that like? Yeah. So it's mostly just managing the manager. And for single family home rentals, it's not that much. It's did the tenant pay rent on time this month or not? You know, and if if they didn't pay rent on time this month, then you know, you email property management's gonna let you know and say, Hey, they're late, but they made arrangements to pay on the fourth or whatever, right? And then as soon as the fifteenth of the month hits, then the property management company will begin the eviction filing if that so happens. Happens probably one to two percent of the time, so not that often. And so it's really just managing the manager. They'll send you and keep you updated on the property if there's any maintenance requests, maintenance tickets, uh, and then you just approve or deny those. And then normally it's it'll just be a quick email reply back, and you'll say approved. And then you know if something comes up with a tenant, then you can make the decision if you want to evict them or have them make more arrangements. And then property management will typically give you a recommendation as well. So. You know, on a perfect month where a tenant pays rent on the first and there's no maintenance items, it's no work at all. You just collect your money and the money will be sent to you on the 15th. If something comes up, then just a quick email back and forth, maybe one or two or three emails for that entire month just to figure out what you want to do for that property. Nice. So nice and passive, just like we like it here. Yeah. You know, pretty passive as as real estate investments go. We're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. So I got three questions that I ask here at the end of every show, and I love all these questions, and I, I hope the listeners do too. <laughs> First, what is the best investment you've ever made? I bought a 20-unit apartment building in Midtown Memphis for a million bucks, put 200 grand into it, and now I'm going to refinance it out. It's worth 2.1 million bucks, and I'll refinance it with Freddie Mac and pull all the money out of it. Sweet. And then is that going to be a long-term hold, or are you going to sell it off? What's the plan? Uh, long-term hold, good area, B class up and coming on the fringe. So I'm going to hold it for maybe ever. I don't know. No plans. Nice. No. I like <laughs> on the other side of that, what is the worst investment you ever made? We bought a house in a D class neighborhood when we first started. I don't think I've ever made money off of it yet. I still own it to this day. Try to get rid of it to a wholesaler. I was going to lose five grand. I was like, ah, oh, we'll just put a Section 8 tenant in there. Finally, the thing's making money. Once we put Section 8 in there, it started making money, but it was just, it was a good lesson to just stay out of D class, stay out of crime areas because just the turnover is crazy and the turnover costs you, you know, 3,000 bucks, 2,000 bucks every single time. If you're only making two or 300 bucks a month, it's a whole year gone just with one bad tenant. So, and that happened three or four times in one year. So Ugh. you do the math. <laughs> it didn't make sense. So that was that was the worst investment ever. And I literally bought one house and never bought in that. I still get sent deals today. I'm like, nope, they're not buying there anymore. <laughs> Pass. Nice. Yeah. All right. So my favorite question of all these three, what is the most important lesson you've learned in investing? I would say a couple of things. I would say be patient and also just stick to your numbers. And, you know, try to remove as much emotion as you can from the deal and really just at the end of the day, let the numbers dictate your gut. And if you have a bad feeling about a deal, get the hell out of there. There's been a bunch of deals that we've just passed on. We don't know why, but it just didn't look right or sit right. And we didn't have a good feeling about it. And the numbers made sense. Maybe they were tight and it was around the corner from this thing or that thing. And one thing or another, we just let us to back out. And at the end of the day, you just have to have this, you know, abundance mentality is what we call it. 
with me and my team, it's like, you know, there's always more deals out there. You never want to force anything to happen or to make something go. So like if the deal's not working with the numbers and then there's this other weird thing about it, just walk away from it. Um, there's plenty more deals out there. The final thing would be to pay your people right and don't be greedy. I think that there's a lot of times because we you know, pay our project managers well and we keep them busy. We pay our contractors well and on time and we never ask for price reduction. We rarely ever ask for price reductions unless we won't need to get a deal done for X, right? So, you know, but we don't like cut corners. We don't screw over the guys who are doing all the work on the ground. So that's been very helpful when, you know, stuff does get hairy or people try to cut you out. It's really just helped build that loyalty to those people on the ground who who trust us because we, you know, have been loyal to them. So be loyal to those guys who are doing good work for you and they'll forever be loyal to you back. Nice. I like it. Where can folks get in touch with you if they want to learn more about your deals and all that good stuff and your podcast, everything, you know, absolutely. Let us know. Let us have it. Yes. Yeah, so, so uh, I'm big on Instagram. I mean, like I post a lot of content on Instagram. <laughs> Sounds bad. Like when you say it like that, I post a lot of content on Instagram. It's all value. There's no like me selling stuff. It's Martel Antoine, M-A-R-T-E-L-A-N-T-O-I-N-E. I have a podcast. It's called The Millennial's Guide to Real Estate Investing, which we spoke about earlier. And then my website is martelturnkey.com. If anybody's interested in turnkey rentals or want to get their foot in the door with real estate investing or rental properties at all, feel free to hit me up. We'd love to help you guys out, get you into some properties. Awesome. Thanks for joining us today. I certainly appreciate all the valuable content. I think uh, turnkey real estate is a good opportunity for people who want to get into real estate, like that the idea of that cash flow. But yep. they're busy professionals. That's who we're talking yep. to here. Yep, absolutely. You've got a job. You're making a lot of money, but uh, takes up a lot of your time too. Family, all those good obligations and stuff. So, yeah, turnkey is a great way to get into real estate. Yep, I agree. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on the show. Pleasure to have you. To everybody out there tuning in, I hope you enjoyed the show today. Hope you're enjoying Passive Wealth Strategies for Busy Professionals. If you are, it'd be great if you could leave us a rating and review on iTunes. It's a super huge help for podcasters. Makes a big difference. If you know someone out there, one of your friends, colleagues that could stand a little bit more passive wealth in their life, share the show with them. We'd certainly very much appreciate it. For now, I hope you have a great rest of your day, great week, and we will talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye. 